So if you're joining us for the first time, if you're visiting, uh, my name is John, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going through the book of Romans, and we're at a point where we're three quarters of the way in already, I know we, we, we really covered that first part really fast, but this next part of it, I want to slow down a little bit, and this is the heart of what I wanted to draw out of Romans. Of course, Romans is one of those books that we could study forever. We literally could spend so much time in it and, and, and really nail down and go into the, the nitty gritties, but I really wanted to go through that first part, even though the first part of it really is laying down a lot of foundational pieces of who we are as a church and what the church's purpose is. But this next part of it really goes into kind of what I felt like God was really leading our church towards. And so today I'm gonna give you a little bit of overview, but then over the next couple of weeks, we're actually gonna slow down quite a bit. I know over the last previous, um, from September till now, we kind of took Romans in like a fire hose, like it just came at us. And we're like covering all these things and all these big terms and all these big, big theological terminologies and, and, and concepts and all of those things. Uh, but right now, starting from today into the next little part, I really wanted to, to slow that down and really talk about what the unity of the church means. And so we had to get through that first part because that lays the foundation. So just, just a little bit of a reflection. The first part of the book, we really looked at us as humanity and looked at our sinfulness and looked at who we are uh, and our need for God and God's wrath and his justification of salvation. And then Paul really points out kind of God's righteousness, the role of the law, right? That there is purpose for this law and then the power of the Holy Spirit and that God has sovereignty in, in salvation for both the Jews and the Gentile. And it was really addressing an issue of disunity within the church. And so that was all of the first part. I really laid down even uh, some really foundational things for us as a church and God's plan for our salvation. But then here Paul then pivots and this is where he encourages the church to pursue unity. And this unity is pursued through the lens of grace. So this is probably one of the hardest parts for a church because giving grace is about forgiving unconditionally in the same way that God forgave us. In Colossians 3.13 it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is something that we know and we hear often, but how do we live this out practically? And so today, I'll set the tone of what Paul writes out from Romans 12 to 15, and like I said, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to slow that down. Uh, so we're going to go back through 15, and, and uh, we're going to actually take two weeks to go through uh, chapter 15, and another week through chapter 13, and another week through chapter 14, and so we really are gonna kinda nail down some of these, these themes of unity. But before that, let's pray, and uh, we'll get into it. Father God, we humbly come before you, and we just ask for your grace to be upon our church. Lord, may we see more of who you are and less of who we are. May we continue to move your church to a place where your glory is seen. 
Lord, let us be your instruments of peace and of unity in the world that we live in. Lord, we come and we give all our worship to you. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you guys know or remember the song Hokey Pokey? Yeah? Old song. I take my daughter to dance class at, uh, at Jess's studio and sometimes they get to do that, that song. But the Hokey Pokey song, for those that don't remember it or actually don't know it because you've been living in a hole, um, <laughs> is this song where you do the Hokey Pokey, you put your right hand in and you put, then you put your left hand in and you put your left leg in and your right leg in and then you do the Hokey Pokey and you turn yourself around and then the last part is you put your whole self in. This idea of we put our whole self in is the exact idea of what Paul starts in Romans chapter 12. He says this, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? What Paul is saying is that whole idea of put your whole self in. That your worship to God involves us offering our whole person to God. What Paul is saying is that worship is the total commitment of the total person for the total life and anything less is not genuine. Now this is overwhelming when we think of it because if we're really honest with ourselves, it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to come to that place of saying, I'm gonna put my whole self in. Because often we get distracted by things like problems, like burdens, like like anxiety, or even things like goals and achievements and chasing after accolades. And yes, these things could be ministry related too. But to worship is not just about offering elaborate prayers to God or making large donations or even singing a lot of songs of praise or listening to a sermon or studying a Bible. Worship is about confessing our sins, is saying that Jesus is Lord, and that we turn, return from our sins, and in seeing God's mercies, we offer ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to God. Paul says, this is how we offer ourselves, by not conforming to the world, but to be transformed in the renewal of our mind because worshiping people are changed people. When we worship, we begin to know who God is. When we worship, we begin to see his character. When we worship, we begin to to uncover the things that God has for us. And when we worship, we begin to be, we, we have the ability to test what is of the flesh and what is of God. Worshiping requires us to shift our mindset from saying I worship when I go to church or when I'm 
or, or when I'm doing ministry things, to a mindset of, I'm going to worship when I go to the office. I'm going to worship when I go to work. I'm going to worship when I go to school. I'm going to worship when I go to the garden. I'm going to worship when I go to the playground. I'm going to worship when I fill in the blank. You know you're living a life of worship in the way that you behave when you're at work or when you're at school in how you speak or how you do business and how you treat your neighbors and how you earn your money and how you spend it or even how you save it. Worship affects everything we do in everywhere we are. You see, our culture has de developed this idea of this, this selective Christianity. And it allows us to deeply and sincerely be involved in worship in church and church activities, yet almost pagan in our everyday lives. But how we operate in our everyday lives is the test to see if you're walking out the will of God in your life. Like how you treat the post office workers. Have you guys ever been to post office? This, this, is, this will show you how worldly I am as a pastor myself. We had to sh change our post office because we, we moved out of our building. So we lost our address. We had to get a post office box. And so we wanted to get a post office box at a very specific PO location because we already have one for nation to nation. We didn't want to have to like travel to... You go to the post to mail. First time I go, you go to the post to, to the P.O. box and they have all these stickers on there that says rent me, right? And you're just like, oh great, there's, there's a post office box that I could rent. So I go to the counter and you wait in line because there's always a line up. And uh, I go, oh, I want to open a P.O. box. And I'm like, okay, great. After giving her 10 minutes of like rummaging through things, she's like, oh, I'm not actually authorized to do this. So only our manager is allowed to do this. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, is your manager around? She's like, oh, no, you have to come in when she has her shift. Okay, when is her shift? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so do you guys have PO boxes to rent? And he's like, yeah, we do, but I just can't do it for you. I'm not authorized to do that. Okay, great. Whatever. Spent 30 minutes wasting my time. Left. Tried another day. You go back. Good thing, manager's there. Great. I like to open a P.O. box. We don't have any available right now. What? I thought you guys had some available. Your stickers have, your, your post office box has, has stickers on it. Yep, those are just stickers. They... <laughs> They don't mean that they're actually available. They're just stickers on the post office boxes. I'm like, oh. Um, so I was told that I could open a P.O. box because you had some available. He's like, yeah, we do have some available that is coming up, but they need their locks to be changed before we could rent them out. Okay, uh, so when is that going to be? Oh, it's going to be another month before we could actually rent them out. And you're the only person that, can, to, that, could, that is authorized to open a P.O. box? Yes. And when is your shift? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> the amount of patience it required for me to not yell at this lady was astronomical. 
because I just went in and again she just wasted my time and I'm just like Liz you have to take this before I rip some <laughs> before I rip someone's head off but it is so easy for us to get frustrated and treat people and how we treat people is a sign of our worship how we treat people at the service industry another person the other group of people that I actually really don't like are bankers sorry for any bankers that are out here the reason is because no, depending on who I go to, they give me a different answer every single time, right? It's just like, oh, I need to, especially church stuff, I need to do this for the church. Oh, you need all your signing officers to come in. So I'm like, okay. So I have to like, call up all of our signing officers, which is Alex right now. And I'm like, Alex, I need to know when you're free to do this. So he's like, okay, we make time, we go in. Oh, we didn't need all of you guys to come in. What? It's those little things where you're just like, like removing people off the, okay, there's, there's old staff that are still on our accounts because we've told them to remove them like six times over the last 10 years and they're still on our accounts. But the patience to deal with these people, part of it is how do we worship God? Are we living a life of, of worship in a place that God is our everything even in the things that we do? How we treat people is a worship unto God. How we, how, we, how we live our everyday life is this idea that Paul writes as sacrifice is, is sacrifice. Now this term living sacrifice is, is this weird thing. It's an oxymoron, right? Because how could you be a sacrifice and both living at the same time? And really we only see two people in the Bible that really embodies this idea of living sacrifice, and that's Isaac and Jesus. To know that I'm able to sacrifice everything that I have knowing that God is gonna give me life. That I'm not afraid to give absolutely all of who I am for all of who he is. But Paul says that's what we're all called to do. We're all called to do, live this way. We're all called to, to be this living sacrifice. And so he says that this is your spiritual, what? Worship. Oftentimes we look at worship and we just boil it down to our, our church activities. But it doesn't bleed into our everyday life. Theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer said this, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on the one day a week. Church is not a, ch worship is not a church activity, but a life activity. It isn't a once or twice a week event. Because the goal of worship is about transformation. And to transform, and it is to transform us to a place where we reconcile who we are to who God is so that we could be in the perfect will of God. This then allows us to love one another. Romans 12, 9 to 10 and then to 14 and 16 says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affections, outdo another in showing honor 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There's so much here. The love that we show to one another in the church should always reflect Christ's love for us. This is the hard stuff. It's easy to love people when we don't see people often, but it's hard to love those that we are in community with. The thing with community, like our church community, is that the more we see each other, the better we get to know each other. And the more we get to know each other, the more opportunity we have to offend each other. Even more so for those that we work closely with and even more so for those that we call family. But Paul says to love. Not just to love, but to outdo each other to a place of honor and to bless and not curse them and to live in harmony. This is what Paul writes to us in in Romans. We're to pursue peaceful harmony relationships peaceful, harmonious relationships with each other and with everyone to resolve conflict through love and grace. This is hard because we think of these things and we try to do it by ourselves and we can't get over how we feel and how our emotions drive us. The only way that we could actually come to this place is if we step into the mercy and the grace of God and we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. To give us what we need in order to make relationships right. In order to reconcile, in order to not take offense, in order to heal, in order to forgive, in order to give grace. It's actually easier to hold offense than to extend forgiveness and grace because we feel justified in our feelings. But God knows that if you're able to step into his grace and that you could extend grace, you will be justified. Paul reminds us and says that vengeance is mine. God says vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To understand that there's freedom in that. There's freedom in knowing that vengeance is the Lord that we don't have to, to, to justify our, our feelings, that God justifies our feelings, that God justifies our emotions. There will always be people in our lives that are there to hurt you, that are there to remind you of just how broken this world is. They could be family members, they could be friends, they could people, be people in our church, in our workplace, in our school. And it's hard to forgive. It's easy to hold grudges. But Paul says, give those relationships to God and ask him what he wants you to do with it. Think about all the broken relationships that you have. Relationships where you haven't seen or spoken to them in years. And ask God, what do you want me to do with this? God's grace is given to us, which also gives us his character to forgive and to reconcile. 
Spiritual maturity is when we begin to get along with each other just as Jesus gets along with each other. There was a lot more that I was actually going to go into today, but I think, I just feel like this is where I need to finish. Part of it is because I want to finish with this thought, because as I was worshiping today, I feel like this is the place that we need to rest, and it's this idea of getting along with everyone seems to be impossible. I'm not someone that actually gets along with everybody. Shocking, right? I'm not someone that, that either feels that I need to get along with somebody either. But here's the thing is that in Romans 15, it talks about this idea of those that are strong in faith need to help those who are, who, who are weak. But that strength is not for status. It means that those that are stronger in faith need to serve those that are still growing in it so that we can encourage and have the endurance that we need to be in God's church. So instead of going into all of this, I actually want to ask this one question because Jesus asks this question all the time. We need to look at our relationships and instead of saying and justifying our feelings and justifying what has happened, we actually need to say, how can I help? And this is hard and this is something that as we were worshiping that I was thinking for myself is instead of going into those relationships and saying these are the things that I've been wronged in, these are the things that's happened, this is the, the and in every relationship there's always two sides to the stories, right? But I want to look at our broken relationship and says, how can I help? What could I do in this situation? Because the reality is that Jesus went into every circumstance and Jesus said, how can I help? In every single place that Jesus went to, Jesus was interrupted. He was disrupted. He was in a place where, if you look at, as he's doing ministry, people came to Jesus all the time asking him for help. And Jesus never avoided that idea of helping people. Jesus always stopped and said, how can I help? Jesus always stopped and, and resolved things. He's preaching at some, some guy's house and he gets interrupted by a guy dropping from the ceiling. He's walking through the crowd going to heal somebody else and somebody else grabs his, just his cloth, his, his, his garments for healing. Jesus is constantly interrupted in, in his ministry. He's constantly in a place where he's put in this position of saying, how can I help? And I believe that Jesus, in that way, teaches us to look at our relationships in that same way of my relationship is broken, so what can I do? This is a hard question because it puts, we need to put our personal convictions aside in order for us to come to this place and say, how can I help? You see, in the church, oftentimes as a pastor, I'm asked this question from a lot of non-believers and a lot of people that I come in contact with is why are there so many different types of churches? 
Why are there the Methodist and the, the United and the, the Evangelical Free, the Alliance, the Baptist? Why are there so many different types of churches? And most of the time, my answer is because they serve different purposes and they have different focuses. But if I really go and dig deep into it and, and really know why there's so many different types of churches, it's actually because we struggle with our own opinions. That we think that our theology is right and their theology is not right. And oftentimes that's how the church splits. That's how new denominations get formed. That's how new networks get formed. That's how new, new churches sometimes get formed. That churches are being formed out of disagreement and not out of unity. And Paul here writes, and throughout these next three chapters, he writes about how do we unify the church? How do we unify ourselves? In chapter 14, he actually talks about how we're to bear with one another in our opinions. That we all have different backgrounds and we all come from different places and we may not agree with everything that each other has to say, but to trust that unto, the, unto God because God will make that person stand. As we were, earlier this year I was talking to another pastor and this pastor is a pastor of a denomination, he, he's actually one of the directors of a, a denomination and, and this denomination I don't fully agree with their theology. There's, there's, there's aspects of their theology that, that I don't agree with. But we were, we were in, in a discussion, he's, he's, one, he's the Western Canadian director of this denomination. And we were talking and I asked him the question and in it, I found out that he actually agrees with me. He actually doesn't agree on the same things that I don't agree with in this denomination. And so I was surprised. I was just like, so you work for the denomination, but you don't fully agree with their doctrines or their theology. How do you work for them? I'm like, I, I couldn't do that. His answer was simple, and I don't think I got it at that moment. His answer is that, he, he, that he gave me, he said, by the grace of God. And in some ways, in my theological mind, I understood that, but in another way, I don't think it hit me until I started writing this sermon. That grace allows him, even though he may not agree with what the denomination sets, that he is in it because he's allowed to have the conversations about it. And oftentimes I feel like in, in churches we, we hold so strongly to our opinions and, and so strongly to our doctrines or even our beliefs and what shapes us that we begin to separate ourselves from each other. Here's the thing is that we're already separated from the world and we already have this divide between what is sacred and what is secular. But what happens is that what those divisions start coming into the church 
and they start dividing the church and that we hold onto our opinions more strongly and our theological things more strongly than the people that we're actually working with. But God is about relationships. God wants us to fight for relationships. He wants us to fight for relationships more than he wants us to fight for theological differences. And Paul reminds us, like, you know what? God's got this. That's why Paul writes about his sovereignty first. God's got this. If we trust that God's sovereignty is in all of this, then he has it. And because God has it, then we're able to come to this place of, okay, we may not agree on this topic, but let's honor, let's love, let's fight for this unity of the church. Because what Jesus came to build is one church. Right? One church that has many different body parts that function in many different areas, but it's one single message. And you may not agree with some of the theological things, but I think what God wants us to do is to be united because we all believe in the same God, in the same Jesus that saved us and poured out his grace through his son Jesus that gave us our salvation. One of the things that we're not willing to have is that gentle conversation because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort for us to sit together and pour out our life, emotions, experiences, our thoughts, and come to that same place. It's easy to agree with people that agree with you. It's easy to love those people too. It's easy to, 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 to hang out with those people, but it's hard to hang out with people that don't have the same, same, same perspectives as you. But call, God still calls us into a unity, and he's calling the Roman church into a place of unity. He's saying that you guys come from very different cultural backgrounds. The Roman church, remember, we had the Jews and the Gentiles, and they were not getting along. The Jews were saying, we're holding on to all of our, our Jewish traditions and the Gentiles are not following any of them. Right? Why are you not following any of them? Because the Gentiles, they see this new covenant that Jesus came to build and it's like, oh, some of these things I don't need to, to follow and we don't need to do anymore. Right? Paul uses that example of like coming to the table. If, if somebody eats things that you're not allowed to eat because Jewish, if anybody that knows the Jewish traditions, there's a lot of restrictions in terms of how you're supposed to eat kosher, right? But instead of chastising them and saying, look, you're wrong and this is not right and you're not part of the church, but to come together and say, how do we come together in unity to be a church despite our differences? There are so many things that are out there that we come in contact with and there's so many thoughts that are out there. 
but that we need to fight for the same thing and that this is, a, this is a, the thing that we need to fight for. It's to grow. It's to grow in grace and understanding God's grace for us so that we can extend that same grace. A number of years ago, I was at a I was in a city event, and that city event had a, a drag queen performer. And for some reason, um, after the performance was done, the drag queen was standing beside me and uh, started making conversations with me. And I remember standing there, and I'm just like, just don't ask me what I do. Please don't ask me what I do. <laughs> Don't ask me where I work. And inevitably the question comes, oh, so what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, I used to go to church. I'm like, oh. He's like, but, he's like, look at me now. I'm like, yeah. And in that moment, I think, God gave me the words to say. And I said, I said to him, I'm like, well, I hope one day you could come back to church. He's like, well, the church doesn't want people like me. I'm like, no. The church is exactly for people like you. The church is exactly for people like me. We're all broken. And the church is a place for broken people to be made whole through his son, Jesus Christ. And they looked at me and just like, okay. So you think if I came to your church dressed like this, that I'd be accepted in your church? And I said, I don't know. But I hope so. I hope so. I hope so because I want you to encounter the person of Jesus and not the people of the church. I hope so because I hope that you can encounter Jesus through every single one of my members in my church. I hope that one day you could come being yourself, encounter Jesus in a way that transform who you are. Church, we have to remind ourselves that it's not what we say that transforms people. It's what the Holy Spirit does that transforms people. It's not what we tell people in terms of what they can and cannot do that lets people know that they're a follower of Jesus, but it's that as they encounter Jesus, that the Holy Spirit convicts them to a place of holiness, to a place where, as chapter two says, uh, chapter 12, verse two says, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's not our job. 
Our job is to live as living sacrifices in order for others to see who God is. That God is working in our lives. I said I'm not very good with people. I don't get along with people. And it's very true. And most of you probably look at me and say, no, I think I get along with you. You're you're very easy to get along with. I would say that that's because God has changed me. And there continues to be a lot of work that God has to do in my life. That yes, I've come very far from who I was before, but there's still a long way in my spiritual journey for me to go. But that's what God does. That's why our faith is a journey. That's why our faith isn't something that happens at one time. It's a continuous aspect of who God is changing us and transforming us to be. Let me just finish with this. As people who follow Jesus, Paul urges us towards unity to take this grace that we're given to give it to others. Because the reality is that there are many things that could divide us. But if we remind ourselves that we live in this mercy of God, that we live in this place of worshiping who God is, if we're able to extend more grace, more gentle conversations, filled with the love of Jesus, instead of holding onto our positions and opinions so tightly, if we ask the questions of how, I can, how can I help instead of offering solutions, I really believe that the church can become a choir that begins to sing and live out worship in a way that continuously gives glory to God. This requires humility. It requires us to submit. It requires us to come to that place of sacrificing who we are for more of who he is. So yeah, I think I'm going to end off there. Because I, I, I think over the next couple of weeks there's going to be a lot of challenges. Alex is going to be coming up to preach next week. He's going to get to talk a lot about the grace of God. Grace of us as a church working together as different, as we're given different gifts. And I get to talk about how do we come into that place of trusting God's sovereignty in theology. What a fun topic to talk about. I'm just going to end up there. So I'm going to pray. Father God, we just pray. We just ask for your grace and mercy to be upon us. Lord, teach us, inspire us, give us the ability to live a life of worship. Call us to that place of knowing that in everything that we do and everywhere we go, that our life is a worship unto you. Lord, we just cry out and we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit. We ask for 
your spirit to teach us, to nudge us, to walk with us, to encourage us. But Lord, as a church, may we also encourage each other to walk in this way. May we continue to speak your grace to each other. May we continue to extend your grace to each other. May we look at our broken relationships in places that we are either have been offended or the places that we have offended. And we ask for your love to pour into that place. We ask for your mercy to pour into that place. We ask for you to give us the grace to not only forgive but the grace to walk out what that relationship needs to look like. Lord, we just come before you and we just humbly ask that we're able to rest in you today. To know that you are our God. That we could trust that you have all things in your hands. So, Lord, we walk by faith, and as a church, we come together pursuing unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, John just brought such a great word on, on unity and God's desire for unity. You know, in that song we sing about, He is the highest above all thrones, dominions, powers, principalities. And these are all the things that God is going to unify under his authority. And, and the victory is already of his. So, you know, when we look at a divided church, you know, as John, John pointed out, why are there so many churches? Yes, some of it's different styles of worship, maybe different styles of baptism, different Bible versions, what, whatever the reason. But so many times it's because we have our own opinions and it's so much easier to hang out with people who opinions um, agree with ours. But the great strength of the church is that it takes all people from all nations, from all cultures, from all walks of life, and it brings them together into this room for one purpose, Jesus. And what an amazing unification thing that is. You know, you look around this room, there are people that come from Coquitlam, from Richmond. You would never even see them. Maybe you'd pass them in a, in a Costco and never even know who they were. But we come here and we gather in, in God's name. And that is the strength of the church. And the church is a place for broken people. This, the strength isn't built on our skills or our perfection or the things that we've already fixed in ourselves. It's built on us coming broken and humble people. You know, we had all these little kids up here. They're so cute. They're so innocent. And they are absolutely broken and racked with sin. And we don't like to think of that. But this is the reason why we send them to Sunday school. This is the reason we bring them to church is this understanding of what Paul is preaching that we are all condemned by our sin, but because of what Jesus does, we no longer stand condemned. We, we, have a, we have a freedom to worship. We have a freedom to go before the God of gods and, and bring him 
our problems, our, our, our successes. We, we can speak to him directly. And, you know, I just think it's, it's so powerful. The Lord has, has so much work to do in all of us. You know, I think every one of us could stand up here and, and get into an argument of, of who's worse and who needs the most work. But the answer is we all need work and God is willing to put in the time. God is willing to do the work. Are we willing to meet with him? Are we willing to put in our time? Are we willing to sacrifice maybe a Netflix show to spend 20 minutes in prayer? Are we willing to sacrifice a little bit of our time to meet with him in the morning? Because this is what Paul's talking about. It, it's not about coming to church. That's a, that's a great thing. This is a, a great time of worship. Sunday is an absolutely special day. But as John pointed out, it's, it's in our patience in dealing with the people that we don't like. And unfortunately, our, our, our nations are, are filled with leaders that show us how to do it wrong, right? We see opposite political parties and they nag, they call each other names because they disagree on, they, they all want the country to do well, but they disagree on the way to do it but yet they have to call each other names. That is, that is not a good example. We instead look to Jesus and we see that he came across people that were doing adultery, that were you know, lying to the people about where they needed to be in their faith. And he reacted in love and he asked, how can I help? Where, where do I need to step in? He, he, have, he was remarkably firm at times, but he felt that line of love and firmness in a way that maybe we can't ever do, but we just pray and hope for. And again, it's not about our skills and our strength. It's about letting the Spirit come and work in us because when we come broken, He can do amazing things in us. If you think you have the strength to stand before God, I wish you luck with that but I think it's gonna be a place of on our knees or on our faces in humility before him. But when we let him work in us, he raises us up. You know, that, that verse earlier that the Lord called to my heart is, you know, let me take your yoke, let me carry your burdens. So when we let him do things, then through him, we can accomplish so much more. Lord, we just thank you for just the amazing God you are. Lord, that we could stand here forever trying to come up with words to describe you. But Lord, we just let our, our spirit and our hearts rest and know that our spirits and our hearts say these words to you, that we love you and we need you. And Lord, we just appreciate all the things that you do for us. So Lord, fill us with your strength, Lord. Show us the burdens that we need to cast off, Lord. Show us how to break off ourselves so that we see more of you lord so that we can carry more of you because lord you you want to show yourself glorified in us lord this is the way that the church shows itself to the to the world it's not through powerful worship scenes it's not through art it's through a people that demonstrate you in very tiny ways it's in patience in moments where the world expects anger and it's in love when the world expects condemnation. But Lord, how can we do any less? Because you didn't bring condemnation on us, but you brought love and you brought your son. And Lord, we are just so eternally grateful. So Lord, bless us as we go forth this week. Amen.